Welcome to the latest episode of Copycats, a podcast uncovering the science and art behind copywriting. My latest guest is an expert in helping teams solve business and customer problems with UX content. She is a teacher, freelance fiction writer, and creator of the UX Fundamentals curriculum for Seattle's School of Visual Concepts. And she's also the author of Strategic Writing for UX. Dear listener, I'm delighted to welcome to the podcast, Tori Podmajerski. Thank you so much, Drew. It's a pleasure to be here. So you've been in UX copywriting for 10 years, is that correct? Mm-hmm. Yes, 10 years in UX copywriting. But before that, a brief stint of business analytics and inter- internal communications. But before that, nine years of teaching high school uh, chemistry and physics. Wow. And and really what I've learned is that teaching is just UX, just one-on-one, day-by-day UX with professional standards, content standards, um, expectations from your principal, expectations from student parents, sometimes tears, sometimes live flame, sometimes chemical spills. Um, so UX is a lot safer. <laughs> <laughs> I bet, particularly when you're dealing with physics and uh, exploding things. <laughs> <laughs> so, and just could you get into a bit more detail around how teaching has informed uh, what you do? Yeah, absolutely. Um, as a teacher, my job was really to take this body of knowledge and uh, sequence it into experiences that my students would have so that my students would encounter, say, the world of chemistry, um, which most of them, if they knew anything about it, they knew it was required for graduation, and they knew uh, that it was um, that it was probably going to be very hard and have a lot of math, and they were going to hate it. Like, that is the expectation that people come to chemistry with. And so my job was to sort of crack that open to say, no, we're going to have this experience which is going to unlock this new understanding, which then we're going to assess and see what parts we need to uh, repeat or do more of or or go deeper in. And that's going to build into the scaffolded body of knowledge um, that you're going to then move forward with as a thinking, considerate um, understander of the scientific method and of these abstract concepts that underlie what matter is made of. So as a UXer, I am doing the same things. I am saying, oh, we need to get people from here to this other place. Like if it was when it was at Microsoft account, it was, oh, people need to understand that this is are the credentials that will underpin their experience on Windows and in Office and on their Xbox and have that all be a seamless whole, that abstract underneath understanding while it unfolds in discrete experiences that they have over and over again. So the difference then is that with students in a classroom, I had maybe 32 at a time and maybe 100 plus a year. And I would you know, get to know them and their family and we would have our handshakes at the door or maybe our fist bumps or our hugs. I don't do that with my users currently because there are hundreds of millions of them instead of just hundreds. Right. An interesting thing for me when it comes to US copywriting is always how can you simplify uh, something that is potentially complex 
and condense it in a, a very short space um, to something that is easy to, to digest. So have you found that your style or your approach to doing that has, has changed over time or have you kind of stuck to very um, principled ways of doing things over time? I, um, boy, I hope I've changed over time because boy, those first things I wrote were not good. And luckily I worked in a team where they would say, that's not good. <laughs> and, and actually memorably one, one of my coworkers said, do you just not believe in using contractions? <laughs> and I, I went away and said, oh dear, I'll, I'll fix that. I apologize. I think that was my second week as a UX writer. Well, it's interesting you mentioned contractions because actually that's something that um, I've found over time. I wasn't always in UX copywriting. I, I worked in content, but I found over time it's it's got more socially acceptable to, to use them. <laughs> mm -hmm. And I guess a big part of UX copywriting, I don't know if you agree, is is you know being in tune with the times. It is a huge part of UX copywriting to be in tune with the times. The um, there's a couple things to say about that. One is contractions in English are different in English speaking locales. Like the research that's been done on people understanding contractions, um, it has different results in the US and in the UK. Hmm. I, and probably because in the US we use it more, uh, more of the time. Um, and and it also appears to be different in UX copy versus longer form web content. You know, whether, and by content writing here, I mean, are you trying, like, is the purpose of this piece of content to convey information? Mm. Um, that appears to have lower understanding of use of contractions, but in terms of getting something done next or um, an error message that takes you to the fix, a contraction seems to be more okay. So all of that, uh, contractions are slippery little devils, but um, it's just one of those indicators of like, people ask me sometimes like, oh, AI writing is getting so good. You know, are you gonna be out of a job? Because you know, anybody can write, even computers. And I say, do you even know how much programming it takes to, to get a computer writing at all? and you're always feeding them old information. They can't be the ones leading the way into new ways of describing things. And that's the hardest part of our job is to say, here's a tricky idea that we've never, that, that is unusual. Like we just made a new way of doing things. No, you are not gonna find some AI that can invent the right new way to talk about it. Yeah. But surely anyone can do UX copywriting, Tori. That's what I had. You know what? Anyone can do it with enough practice. Some of us can do it with less practice and are ready to do it today. If somebody wants to put in the work of, of understanding how uh, users understand language, how we understand language and how to use language as a tool to keep them moving forward through an experience, yeah, that is a practicable set of skills and perspectives. For sure. And we didn't get into your book in, in, a, in a short while, but I wanted to ask you about how maybe your thinking has evolved and maybe one key thing that you've learnt uh, since your, your book has been published. 
Oh, I have learned uh, an awful lot since my book has been published. Um, I mean, haven't we all learned a lot since, what, mid-2019? <laughs> <laughs> an awful lot has gone on. Um, I think that in terms of UX writing, um, the biggest thing I've learned is how, um, like when I was doing the writing of it, I was thinking half of the time I was thinking, who am I to be writing this down? And is it even right? Right. And my editor gave me great advice saying, it is a way that worked for you. None of this, nobody has written this down yet. We need like, and he, she would remind me, you said we need more books in this industry. That means more people need to write their ways of doing it that have worked for them, not that it need to be the right way for everybody. Yeah. And, and so what I've learned is that um, uh, not only do, was it a good thing that I wrote this down? Um, and that I hope that new and better ways come up and that people write more books, but that people need encouragement to write these books. Like I'm not the only one who needed people there saying like, yeah, you can do this. You just keep going. You can do this. Everybody needs that encouragement. Great. And so one thing I want us to really delve into, which you cover in your book is around the whole idea of uh, stakeholder management, different people that you have to deal with. Um, before we started this podcast, you asked me, Drew, can I swear? <laughs> I'm guessing <laughs> this this might be the stage where, where we get into some <laughs> choice language, but uh, I may be jumping the gun. So I want to know from your perspective, what has the challenge been like for you to sell the value of copy? And is it something that you found other people have, have tried to pick up and what kind of results have you seen? Yeah, I think that um, this is a great question. So, so there's a few categories here, right? There are stakeholders like there's so many different stakeholders we work with. We, I work on any given day with engineers and product owners, um, UX designers like interaction designers and visual designers, um, management and leadership at all of these levels, product owners, legal um, uh, considerations, uh, legal and regulatory, which is a different version of legal, y'all. Like, let's be clear, there's all different levels. There's all different circles, not to mention operations and support personnel and and uh, marketing. And it just, the, the sphere ever widens. And all of them have a different perspective of what that, uh, what any given screen or any given button in an experience needs to do. So all of them um, it's not that they don't know that the copy is important and the ones who say the loudest in my experience, like, oh, it just doesn't matter, are also the ones who will say, who will go to the mat and say, no, it has to be this way. <laughs> and so that is, I think, the biggest argument I ever had at work uh, uh, in UX writing was standing toe to toe with my um with the manager of the manager of the product owners in microsoft at xbox and he was adamant that the first thing that somebody sees when they are signed into the xbox was one thing and i was adamant that 
he was wrong. He wanted to say, welcome. But we're in their living room. We cannot welcome them to their living room or their bedroom or their, right, wherever they are. They're in their space. We cannot welcome them there. And we went toe to toe. And, uh, and my content team actually rolled up to product management at the time. And I, and I knew that. And I knew that my boss and my boss's boss were in earshot while we were yelling. And I said, my butt is on the line for this string. <laughs> and, and he gave it to me. And don't you know that every time somebody mentioned that after launch uh, in their press and said, you know, this happened and it was magical and I saw this, I clipped every single one of them I could find and I sent them to him. Oh, why wouldn't you? <laughs> yes. But you, you, I, I've, I've found, Tori, that you have to, be, you have to have not only the, the courage of your convictions to say this is what I think is right and correct, mm -hmm. but also you have to consider that a big part of your job as a U.S. copywriter is being able to justify your decisions. So, yes. how have you found doing that over time? Because you give an example there where you know, that's that's a risk. Right. That, that. Yeah, it was a huge risk and it was a terrible way to handle that. Let me be clear. It makes a great story. It was not. I mean, it actually ended up being a good way to handle that. But like this is this is not a template to use. That's that's not the default approach to Tori that we get. Oh, God, no, no. That was we were in the middle of an apocalyptic ship. It was it was just um, that was a precious moment in time that has passed. Thank heavens. <laughs> um, but to your point, it's much more important to be building the argument and to say, um, per our standards, this is more appropriate than this. And uh, based on UX research, this, you know, a, a one word button is going to convert better than a three word button. Right. So to be able to just keep grounding it in rationale, like every statement I make to people these days starts with, OK, the principle I want to use here is, say, using the um, the thing that the person recognizes, the user recognizes rather than what we call that thing internally. Yeah. Right. I want to use the I, I'm always grounding my advice in the uh, in the relevant principle. But I can only do that because we've started in this industry to start to talk about principles and to start to put research behind them. So yeah. now I can start doing that. And now I'm also experienced enough in my career to say, here's something that's worked for me before when I don't have research behind it. Right. And I say, let's try this. Right. So you're saying actually that the the evolution of research within the UX space has been something that's benefited you as a copywriter. Absolutely. Absolutely. Even when it isn't word specific, language specific UX research, just the fundamental UX research of things should be easier to find, right? That makes it, you know, that is a strong argument for like, hey, how about we not bury this term in the middle of this sentence over here? How about we you know, use it as a heading. Right. And then maybe we don't need that sentence at all, maybe. Perhaps. Things like that, perhaps. <laughs> yeah. 
So I want to talk business goals versus mm. customer goals. Sometimes there can be a clash. Have you got any advice for how you can keep yourself honest as a US copywriter in terms of making you know, sure that you, you achieve both of those? For me, it comes down to keeping lists. Um, do I know what the business goals are? Do I know what the customer goals are? And am I willing to keep showing that to my stakeholders and say, okay, here our solution. Does it meet these goals? You know, my customer goals are the, you know, we've, we've agreed that these are the goals. Are we there yet? Or do we need to go a little further? And actually to the point about stakeholders, it was my legal, um, the head of legal for Xbox that taught me how to push harder on that because there were points where I was willing to say like, that is clearly the best we can do. We got this from like three pages down to one page. And he was saying, why isn't it one sentence? And I was going, are you kidding me? And he just kept saying like, what can we do here? What can we do here? Right. So that's an interesting one because in that circumstance, you had someone who's a massive advocate for you, who at the time maybe you didn't recognize as being, you know, someone who was pushing you for the right reasons. So mm -hmm. how, how would you suggest that people uh, work better with not just legal, but with their, their different stakeholders? And I know there's, there's kind of different levels and different people that you'd be dealing with, but as a general principle, for way of working. I mean, what you're asking here is like, you know, what do you advise as an entire way of working? So I'm going to scope that way <laughs> back down. Well, say, just just like just like your legal content, I want you to get down from ten pages to <laughs> one sentence. Yeah, one sentence. <laughs> um, I would say that we need to take a, a page as as UX writers, and I think UXers have started to do this. UX designers and and others um, of saying uh, of saying out loud, "Here's what I'm trying to do," and. Here's what I think I can accomplish with that. And putting our necks out there and saying, I think I can improve this page. I think I can improve these customer outcomes we're measuring for this page, or these business outcomes we're measuring for this page by this many percent. And yes, that will be a number that you pull straight from your ass. And that is part of how we learn, right? We say, I think I can make an improvement. And you can even use the, the tried and true physics method of use powers of 10. Is it a 100% change? Probably not. Is it a 1% change? Maybe bigger. Is it 10%? Okay. Anytime you hear somebody come up with a, a guessing number, a predictive number that is a one followed by zeros, it means they have no idea what they're doing. But they're willing to just put a stake in it at a power of 10. Yeah. At some point you need to do it, right? Yeah, and to make that assertion is something that we need to start doing more of and saying, we make an impact, I make an impact on this, I'm proposing an impact on this of this much. Are we game to go there? And also be willing to, to take no for an answer. Sometimes no is the right answer. Yeah, and are you constantly looking at immediate impact, this project, this page versus wider impact and is that an ongoing challenge that you set yourself yeah it is an ongoing challenge the more um 
the more senior I am in my career and the broader my scope is. So those two things tend to go together or have tended to go together in my career. Um, I am still sometimes doing the impact of this page in this moment for this user. And that is where the strategy has to be grounded in is what are the actual moments. But I'm spending a lot more of my time at the strategy level saying all those moments that we need to meet, we need to have standards for voice and terminology and consistency and understanding what excellence is. So that even though I uh, can't spread so thin as to write every string, that you know, like when you come to me for a review of an experience, that I'm going to be bringing up these principles. I'm going to be asking you about the purpose for the customer and the organization. And we're going to be talking about those standards and how you're applying them. Right. I think that's a great point you made there. Because that's something that I think, in my experience, has often been a stumbling block. When there's no one version of the truth for you to fall back <laughs> on and be yes. beaten with. <laughs> that, so therefore, you end up getting yourself in situations where I'm telling you what I think it is. Yes. And you're telling me something completely different. Uh, we both have this, the same objective, but um, we're, we're, we're not subscribing to the same principles. So I'm, yes. I'm glad you raised that. And then just quickly on the, um, on the stakeholders piece, just to wrap up the conversation around this, how do you approach briefs? I'm not talking of the ones you wear, I'm talking <laughs> the briefs that determine what it is, as you were uh, touching upon earlier, that you're, you're, you're trying to achieve. Uh, and Really, where, where should ownership lie? Oh, and um, inside Google, they're often called product design documents or product requirement documents are actually two different things. Um, and in my experience uh, at Google and at Microsoft and at OfferUp, um, the documents have different kinds of names, right? And sometimes the document is a Slack conversation. And sometimes the document is 15 pages that lasts and is evolves over three years. Great, or more than 15 pages in some cases. But uh, the purpose of like UX needs to be a strong partner there. And sometimes uh, UX writing or content strategy needs to be an extremely strong partner there, especially when the experience deals with corporate liability, privacy, um, any of these things where a person's understanding is going to come through the language and uh, uh, you know how that how the language evolves will directly affect the experience so in some groups engineering has owned these some groups um, product owners some groups marketing and i now take it as sort of a project by project thing i kind of don't care who owns it and i've written my own and said hey, I want to make this more effective. Um, nobody else is working on this right now. It would cost this much to do in engineering hours to update the copy and localization costs to do this. And it's worth it because we're going to make millions of dollars by doing this, given our scale. So um, who owns it is not the problem to me. That we influence it when we should be is, right? So UX has to be a strong partner not to have so much a seat on the t at the table, but a butt on the line. Like what is UX responsible for here? Mm. 
And is it that going to be more through the words or through the design is kind of the balance between the content strategy UX versus the design strategy UX. Finally, just reflecting on your book a year and a half on, maybe? I think so. Uh, maybe about that. Well, first of all, how, how was the process of um, coming up with that? Do you find it really stressful? Kind of talk me through what journey you went on for that book. So I went to a conference and uh, it was the Confab conference in 2018. And that was the first time that I had been in a place where in the Slack group, we had found maybe 40 other people working on product content. And we met up at a lunch and people who had been in it for a long time were like, oh yeah, I've been in it for like a year and a half or two years. And the problems they were discussing having were the problems that I remember discussing when I was a year and a half or two years in. And I was going, holy crap, you're, okay, I should have just sweared there, but <laughs> you're, you're resolving these problems. Like we have research about that. Oh, we don't have research about that. Oh shit. So I went home from that conference and my husband and one of our, my best friends who a design director said, so you're writing a book. <laughs> they laid it on the line for you. That, that was, they all. laid it on the line. So I, um, we were actually all vacationing together and because she's a design director, of course there were post-it notes around. So I took some post-it notes and a cup of coffee and I said, what would be in a book for people getting into UX writing who don't know that there are ways of doing this. They don't have to invent new ways. There are ways that work. And I outlined the book with post-it notes and pitched it. Wow. So you actually yeah. created a book on UX writing with UX methodology. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Which and I will say is exactly the same way I would have done it as a teacher. That right. is how I would map out lessons and, and units as a teacher too. So it's, it's brought you full circle. And that, yeah. that must have been a very proud moment for you personally, right? To, to get that out there. But then as you saw people's reaction to it, how did that align with your expectations? You know, it's funny. I didn't start the proud moment. Actually, no, it was a terrifying moment. It was, there was nothing like people expect that like there's this moment of accomplishment. Like, yes, I feel good about this. No, 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 no. It was a feeling of I've just spent a huge amount of my life force putting everything into this very slim book. So like it's it's short, right? Like it's a short book. How did it, that take so much effort to write? And I hope it's useful. Like, I hope that wasn't for nothing. Um, yeah. And we know it's not for nothing because, you know, it is a very influential book. It's, it's had a lot of positive reactions. People still talk about it now. Uh, and it's, it's a very popular reference point for a lot of UX writers. So thank you for, for doing that, first of all. And then looking back on the time since it came out have there been any key kind of themes that people have approached you with and like a bit more information now you mentioned oh. that could just know a bit more about that please yes um pretty much everything uh <laughs> research localization enterprise versus consumer um uh let me just say research and localization again because whoa um, 
how uh, more about stakeholder management and the in the process of how should this work within a team. Um, yeah, and more about terminology and auditing. People want so much more. Uh, I hope that you and everybody listening to this is like, yeah, I should go write a book about that. Yes, you should. We need more books. And you've, you've led the way. I want to finish off by, by talking about perspectives on 2020, because it was a bizarre year for everyone, without exception. Uh, mm -hmm. I'm wondering how the way that you work now way that you worked over the past when did the pandemic really hit maybe march last year right last 11 months or so how it's impacted the way you've worked uh and your outlook generally yeah i think that um uh my outlook for the future is uh varies moment to moment from hopeful to grim um and i think that that's just the way we are right now, like we don't know what's coming. We don't, um, we don't know how it will end up working. So the outlook for UX writing is very positive. <laughs> the outlook for everything else, I am a big believer in being hopeful regardless. There's this phrase called hope punk, like, oh, oh, you think you've taken away my hope? Oh, bring it. I am Gen X. I will just keep bringing it until we have that nuclear war that wipes it out, everything that I was promised. I'm going to be hopeful for a good outcome. I mean, I, I, I was with you there until you mentioned the nuclear war. And that, you know, that, <laughs> that, that for me is, uh, it's not the kind of tone I want to end on. So I'm going to ask. Sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm joking. So, but I did want to ask you uh, three quick questions. Uh, one of mm -hmm. which is, your most overused word or phrase, Tori? Um, it has to be the word experience uh, is the one I overuse like heck in the book because uh, I didn't want to limit it to just app or software because it, it applies to signs in the real world. Um, but boy, is it annoying. Uh, like I'm annoyed when I read the book that I use the word experience all over the place. <laughs> It's a key word, right? In what, in what it is. Do. It's super important. Yeah. And across disciplines. <sighs> mm -hmm. Okay, the most wonderful word in the world, Tori. I, I don't really have a favorite word so much as favorite ideas. And, uh, and I actually, I think the most wonderful idea is wonder. It it is, and you're like, oh, you cheated now. You just what? You just went with the word right there. Like, no, I thought about this, and it is about, um, it is this sort of ineffable thing. Like, what are you doing when you are wondering? Well, you are imagining. You're finding a place of stillness among the the noise, and you're saying, what is a different reality here? And then on the subject of uh, wonder. Mm -hmm. uh, tenuous link. Uh, what's the current book recommendation that you you would give us? Mm, I have two. How to make sense of any mess. And boy, we have a lot of messes these days. Um, this is Abby Covert's book. Um, it is phenomenal and super super practical. Um, whether you are a word person, like this is directly applicable to everything we do in content. Um, but even just cleaning your damn house. Um, and then the other one is See No Stranger, and it's a memoir, but also very practical advice about 
Um, and it actually, wondering is one of its steps of how do we deal with the world and how do we uh, rage at the world and how do we breathe at the world. Um, so those two books, See No Stranger by Valerie Cower and How to Make Sense of Any Mess by Abby Covert. Tori Podmajewski, you've been an absolute delight and I'm so glad to have got you on the podcast. Uh, is there anything that you want to shout out, let people know about, promote, whinge about, floor is yours? I want people to, I want UX writers to be taking a look at what they're doing right now and thinking, how am I going to present about this at a conference next year? And then pitch that talk, pitch it to UX conferences, pitch it to product conferences, pitch it to UX writing conferences, and then write that book. Well, that's a challenge I can set myself. Thank you so much. Take care. All the best. Bye.